Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and Corridor Aesthetics.com. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. This is the first day of the new Iowa legislative session. The legislature's 100-day session convened at 10 a.m. today at the state capitol. And Mondays during the session over the next few months, we'll be focusing on the governor's priorities and major bills up for debate among lawmakers. Co-hosting with me on many of these legislative Mondays, IPR state government reporter Katerina Sestarek. Hi, Katerina. Hi, Ben. Katerina joins me uh, today from the State House Law Library, where she is with Republican leaders of each chamber. We'll introduce them in a moment. I want to let you know that later in the hour, we'll be joined by the Democrats, Senate Minority Leader uh, Pam Yoakum, uh, also House Minority Leader Jennifer Confirst. Uh, but uh, for the first half hour, we are uh, happy to have the Republican leaders uh, uh, with us, uh, Senate Majority Leader Senator Jack Whitver, a uh, Republican from Grimes, also House Speaker, Representative Pat Grassley, a Republican from New Hartford. Uh, Senator and House Speaker, uh, uh, welcome to our program. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. The uh, Republicans have a trifecta in uh, our government, the Republican Party controlling the offices of governor, secretary of state, attorney general, both chambers of the state legislature. Listeners, if you'd like to join us with your questions for our legislative leaders this hour, uh, 1-866-780-9100, 1-866-780-9100. Email us river to river at iowapublicradio.org if you'd like uh, to email us. Um, we should address at the start here, uh, gentlemen, last Thursday, the tragedy in Perry. Uh, Dylan Butler, a 17-year-old, killed a sixth grader at the Perry High School, um, at the school there, injured four others, three staff members, including principal, the principal there, before he died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Police said uh, they found an improvised explosive device at the scene. Uh, Katerina, you wanted to, to start us off with uh, this tragedy and questions about it. Right. So high school students are walking out of school all over the state today. They're trying to demand action against gun violence. Some are even coming to the Capitol, here to the Capitol today. Um, what will you do to try to make sure this doesn't happen again, Senator Whitford? Well, I think first, first of all, we just want to say our sympathies are with all those people in Perry. Just an extremely difficult time um, for students, for administrators, for parents, uh, everybody in Perry. Just a tragic situation, and uh, our sympathies are with all of them. And hopefully they can... Um, continue to um, support those people that need supported in Perry. Um, I, I think from what we do here at the Capitol, as far as um, policy, I think you have to step back and take a look at what is the reason this happened in Iowa? What is the reason? And we've now had a couple of school, sh school shootings over the last couple of years and look about, at the reasons why it's happening before you just rush to judgment on on any any bill we might pass or any policy change we might do. And so still gathering information of, of the situation um, and um, continue to, to monitor that and address it as it comes. But um, I don't think you want to rush to judgment and try to find a solution to something that wasn't the problem in, in this situation. And so um, we'll continue to do that. But again, just our sympathies with those those people in Perry. Mr. Speaker. And, and, and I think, and I think Jack or Senator Whitford's right. Um, you know, obviously a terrible tragedy. And I think 
the, some of the conversations that need to happen, I think we're actually going to be a part of the legislative session. And I think this is, and I mentioned this morning, this is brought to light that we need to have a very robust conversation. But like Senator Whitford said, I think we need to have an understanding of all the details um, as we go into this conversation, it's going to be a broad conversation. I don't think there is just one solution. You know, we've got some things that our members want to have for ideas, uh, anywhere from, uh, you know, making sure that looking at school resource officers, a perfect example, is that something that the state needs to identify as maybe a place in which there needs to be support? I just throw that out there as an idea so that your listeners know these are things that I think we've been thinking about, having conversations about, and I think this really uh, maybe expedites those. The March for Our Lives Iowa group, which is high school students who call for gun safety policies, you know, two days before the shooting, they they had a press conference where they were asking lawmakers to pass extreme risk protection orders, make it mandatory to report lost or stolen guns. And while you said we don't know, you know, what what exactly happened with with the Perry shooting, um, do you do you think Republican lawmakers could support any sort of new gun safety um, regulations? And I think that there's a perception that, you know, we don't take a look at every specific policy. But at the end of the day, I think that our caucus has to also weigh, you know, what the rights of Iowans are as well. And so um, the, that's part of the it's been lost in the conversation. I think, you know, I, you know, Leader Winshittle, obviously, my majority leader in the House, you know, he looks at all forms of policy, even if they're things that maybe aren't things that we come up with. And at the end of the day, we have to all keep in mind the rights of Iowans as we're developing those policies. And so, um, you know, that that's really been what's driving this conversation is, you know, making sure that the rights of Iowans are being protected as we're developing any sort of policy. But, you know, we've met with some groups associated with that group and had conversations and are willing to look at what they have. But again, we've kind of had a driving principle behind the decisions we've made with those policies. Um, last year, the House passed a bill that would allow guns on school grounds in some limited cases. People could keep a handgun in their car while picking up or dropping off someone at school. Um, is that going to pass the Senate this year? Um, we haven't had that conversation. I know it, it was a bill that came over from the House. Um, it was a pretty expansive bill with a lot of different things in it, not just the the couple you mentioned. Um, and, and we did have concerns with some of the different parts in there. And so I don't want to make any predictions yet on what might happen to that. But um, it, it's something that um, obviously didn't pass last year. Do you think the shooting in Perry um, changes any conversations around, you know, passing a law to allow guns on school grounds in some cases? I mean, anytime something like that happens, and, and frankly, it's happened a, a couple of different times in the last last three years, um, uh, we we always take those things into account. You know, our members are back home and talking to people and, and you know, want to be responsive to what Iowans want. And so that will be part of the conversation going forward. Yeah, I just want to jump in real mind, if you don't, I'm not to monopolize it, uh, Katarina, but I, I, as I've been thinking about this early in my legislative career in 2008, you know, I, I was a representative for Parkersburg when we had a terrible tragedy as you know, in the weight room, um, Ed Thomas was shot, um, and killed by a former student that came into the weight room. And a lot of the students were there that day. And from that came legislation in multiple forms but also a lot of things were identified that we didn't know right away. And so I think that's why you're hearing a message from Jack and I, or Senator Whitford and I, that, you know, we want to wait and see what some of the concerns are. I'll give you an example. When we did that bill, one of them that came from that we didn't realize was a problem that you could be released if you had had a committal order, you could be released without the notification of law enforcement. That was something that 
we didn't know immediately following, but working with the family, we developed that policy over the course of the legislative session. So I think that's why for us to sit here and just say, these are the things that we will do. Some of that we're going to learn engaging with law enforcement, with the families. Um, of, and quite frankly, I engaged at that time with the families of the shooter as well as the victim. And so those kind of conversations, I think, are going to happen over the next um, several months during this legislative session as we develop any sort of policy. Majority Leader Whitver and House Speaker Grassley. Last week on this program, we had David Redman as a guest. He's the founder of K-12 uh, School Shooting Database. He's uh, tracked all kinds of data about over 2,000 school shootings in the last five years. And he had uh, he said so much about Perry, and of course the investigation is ongoing here. We don't know all the details, but he says from what he knew, uh, this fits into the national picture of school shootings uh, and how school shootings might be prevented. Uh, his message, not with increased school security measures so much as with crisis intervention. Do you see that uh, this may be a turning point to fully fund children's mental health here in Iowa, get crisis intervention at the top of the list uh, to prevent tragedies here in Iowa? Well, I think, um, first of all, you have to recognize that we didn't even have a children's mental health system in Iowa until, I don't know, five or six years ago. It was just something that we just kind of ignored or let school counselors do it. There wasn't a direct effort by the legislature to put in place children's mental health. In fact, I remember day one when Kim Reynolds was sworn in as governor, she went out in the rotunda of the Capitol and gave her first speech. One of her top agenda items was to finally, once and for all, create a children's mental health system. Um, that session, so I guess that would have been 2018, um, we did in fact do that. Um, but any system you put in place, it just it's not a cure-all. You have to continue to work on it, continue to find funding, uh, which we have continued to increase mental health funding over the last few years. We finally took that funding away or the, the system away from the counties and funding it with property taxes because we were the last state in the country that funded mental health with property taxes. And, you know, we don't always just do what other states are doing. But if you're the last state to do anything, it's, it's a good idea that maybe we should look at that. But not only that we continue to add money and there's an automatic escalator in our mental health funding every year. And, and so, which is something we didn't have before. And so there has been an effort. You're never gonna just fix every mental health issue with a piece of legislation. Um, but there has been a concerted effort over the last six, seven years to not only help adult mental health, but implement that children's mental health system for the first time ever. And so I, I know those can, those talks will continue to make sure that we're doing what we need to. What what more can we do? How you know? Do that? Does it need more funding? Whatever that is, um, that's the kind of things that we'll be talking about this legislative session. Do you think this tragedy, um, Speaker Grassley, brings that issue more into the forefront and might? encourage more movement on children's mental health? Well, and one thing we have to keep in mind, and this is something where we continue to focus, and, and we bring this up in this issue, because if you talk to any area expert, when it comes to mental health as a whole, whether it's children's mental health or mental health, we can have all of the funding, all of the beds, but you have to be able to have staffing. And so that, that also leads into a further conversation about what are we doing to make sure we can incentivize, incentivize people to go into those fields. So what, you know, we do get a lot of pushback that there's never enough money. Well, actually, I think that in that system that we have, it's, you know, obviously this, some would argue there's never enough money, but the point being that it isn't just about the dollars and cents. Some of it is just the staffing levels and the ability to do it. So we have to have that as part of the conversation 
of mental health. And that's what, you know, Senator Redford touched on the funding mechanism. We've also looked at the facilities. We've also looked at a situation where we're looking at workforce. So it's a multi-step approach. And this problem didn't just happen overnight. I don't think it's going to be possible for us just to fix it overnight. But we've made significant significant investments over the last several years into the system. Mm -hmm. Speaker Grassley, we have just a minute before we we go to break. Is this an area where you can partner with the Democrats, a a good overlap and a, a common purpose here? Well, my expectation, and I brought this up this morning about looking at school safety and, and just in general, is I have I would be very hopeful that the Democrats would want to be a part of those conversations. In fact, I hope um, our chair on education and public safety would reach out and see what those kind of conversations. That doesn't mean we're going to agree on the ideas, but I think these all need to be vetted through both parties, yes. Okay, we have to take a short break. Uh, we're so glad to have with us joining us from the uh, law library in Des Moines, Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitver, House Speaker Pat Grassley. Uh, They'll join us for a few more minutes after this break, and then we'll be joined by the Democrats uh, who lead both uh, chambers. Join us with your questions uh, as we uh, conduct a discussion about the priorities on this first day of the new legislative session, 1-866-780-9100. Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. Back with more River to River from IPR News, I'm Ben Kiefer with my co-host uh, for this hour, Katerina Sestarek, our state government reporter here at IPR, uh, uh, joining her at the State House uh, Law Library, Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitber and House Speaker Representative Pat uh, Grassley. In just a few moments, uh, we'll have the Democratic leaders join our conversation. You can ask a question uh, of our leaders, one 780 9100 as we explore their priorities for this new 2024 uh, Iowa legislative session. Or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Over to you, Katerina. So Governor Kim Reynolds says that she wants to do a comprehensive review of the area education agencies. These mainly provide services for kids with disabilities. Um, Senator Whitfer, can you assure parents who are concerned about this that they won't end up with fewer services for their kids because of this review? Yeah, this is something that, that's really important. And I think just taking a step back beyond that, um, I think we all realize down here that, you know, there's been a, a, a focus on um, private schools the last couple of years. But we all understand that 90 percent of our kids in Iowa are going to go to public school, and that will be the case for forever. And so we want to make sure that the services being delivered, the services the kids have, um, are the best that we can possibly do. And the AEAs are a system that was developed 50 years ago. There's never been a really comprehensive look at it. So I don't know why people are resisting so much of, we just don't need to take a look at it. Don't look over here. It needs to be reviewed. It needs to be the best we can possibly deliver. And so that will be the conversation going on. Um, but there, the, the conversation is is not how do you cut AAAs and save money here? It's how do we get the services streamlined and focused to what we want them to be? And special education is a huge part of that. Um, and then um, how can we deliver these services to kids? And so that's the conversation that we'll be having this year. 
So I think people get nervous when they hear streamlined. So, you know, to them, that means, oh, it's what's getting cut, right? Well, I mean, I don't I don't know any legislator that's ever ran for office that, hey, I'm running because I want to cut special education. Like, that's not the goal. The goal is to make special education better. Um, are there other areas um, of, of the AEAs that maybe are outdated? You know, it's, it's a different purpose than it was maybe when I was in school when they deliver film strips and you know all the media stuff. So we want to make sure that the money that we're spending as a state is going to the things that we need the most. And I think special ed is at the top of that list. Um, Mr. or Speaker Grassley, um, we um, the governor decided this year to not or at the end of last year to not join a program that would give families additional food assistance over the summer when their kids aren't getting school lunches. Um, do you think that was the right call? Yeah, I would support the governor in that move. And, and let me explain why I won't try to go into it too far with my former appropriations hat. But one of the things that we're seeing more and more that's going on at the state level is a continued uh, what I would call dangling of money for whatever it is, whether it's this or other things from the federal government with such strings attached that make it very impossible for states that are each different to be able to run their own program. So I think what I, as we're having this conversation, in fact, I was at a uh, back home in a, in my district or not in the district, but in the Cedar Valley forum. And one of the groups asked a very similar question it was actually the food banks about the pressure that they're facing. And they felt decisions like this were part of the problem. I said, um, that I think if we're going to do that and be providing for any level of food security, it needs to be at the state level, maybe partnering with groups like the food bank instead of partnering with the federal government who, once you take their money, we found ourselves in a position where we can't be creative and we can't try to meet the needs of Iowa because it's a one size fits all. And I think that that happens on more than just this. This is just a perfect example of a state in this example saying, we're not going to get into that partnership with the federal government again because there's a long list of them in which we have very little control and we find ourselves all of a sudden several years down the road and it's costing us more money than we can to even administer the program. And so we have to be very smart in our approach. If we're going to do something on that issue, I would like for us to keep it at more of a state level than joining a partnership with the federal government. So do you have any ideas for um, dealing with the food insecurity that, as, as you said, food banks yeah. and pantries are really well, seeing? Yeah, one of the questions I, you know, the... Uh, and I don't know if this is their policy they've released, but in my conversations with them, they were looking to the state for a potential sort of ability to partnership or do some matching at some level. And I think if the legislature really believes that, you know, joining into every partnership that the federal government dangles out in front of us, instead of just taking every money without asking any questions, if we can find solutions at the local level, I think that's not only a better use of our dollars, but it makes it so it's better for supporting Iowa um, uh, Iowa companies and growers. But I think ultimately it gives us the autonomy and provides us the ability to be flexible in how we approach that. So I don't know if they've released their policy. I just know they've talked about it, and I said I'd be open to having that conversation. And since you're both in the same room and um, tax cuts are going to be a big discussion again this session, Senator Whitfer, are you and the speaker on the same page about what exactly you want to do with income tax cuts? I think we're both on the same page and have been for years that we want to reduce taxes as much as possible, get more money in the pockets of Iowa taxpayers. Um, how we do that, and that's always the discussion we have. And so uh, are we on the exact same page today going in? Probably not, but that's okay. Um, we're going to hear the governor's proposal tomorrow night, probably in the state of the state, um, and we'll get to work uh, right away. The, the good thing is we are in a position um, because of all the work we've done the last few years, the economy is growing um, to possibly expedite some of the cuts that we 
we did two years ago. And while, you know, we're supposed to go down to 3.9% income tax rate um, by 2027, there's an opportunity to move that forward and get that, that the rate lower, get more money in Iowans pockets sooner and hopefully help our economy even more. Um, but we're very fortunate to be in a position where we've controlled our budget. We have big surpluses and we want to get that money back to the taxpayer. So are we on the exact same page? I doubt it, but that's okay. Um, we'll, we'll listen to the speech tomorrow. Well, we'll continue to talk to each other and, and, and work on that proposal. And the chair of your taxation committee uh, wants to again propose a bill that will eventually eliminate the state income tax. Can Iowans expect to see that happen this year? Well, I think you're going to continue to see a conversation about what does it look like to eliminate the income tax in Iowa. We want to be um, one of the first states to eliminate the income tax once they had it, but that doesn't happen overnight. You know, we started this conversation six, seven years ago to get from 8.9% to where we are now at 3.9%, which is probably the largest income tax by any state in the history of the state. Like, I don't know, or in the history of the country, I don't know of another state that has been able to do that much. Um, um, but the goal has always been to get that as low as possible and hopefully eliminate it. Um, will we do that this year? Remains to be seen. Um, but um, it's always been the goal and uh, just important to keep the big picture in mind as we do all these different tax changes. We have uh, our leaders, uh, the, uh, both chambers uh, on the Republican side, uh, joining us for the next few minutes. Uh, but let's uh, make sure we get at least one caller into this part of the conversation. Mike is with us from Williamsburg. Mike, I'll, I'll ask you to be concise. Welcome to the program. Thank you for taking my comment. And thank you for your service. Um, couple, So many issues I'd like to address, but I'll focus on child care. A couple of them have already been addressed. Um, what do you propose to do to help uh, the situation in the state? One of our main issues is the lack of quantity and quality of child care throughout the state, so many child care deserts, and that compounds itself into our workforce issues, into um, uh, the lack of housing also factors into that. It also com compounds our brain drain issues. But what do you guys propose to do to help with the child care issues? Is it uh, incentivizing uh, more daycares through child care tax credits, tax credits directly to working families like mine. How do you propose to solve that issue? Thanks, Mike. I, I was, uh, this is Speaker Grassley, I was just going to jump in here and say, you know, a lot of this conversation uh, has been going on for several years. We've looked at, we've already eliminated things like the cliff effect to make sure that people could have upward mobility in their careers. We've looked at providing incentives for communities to partner with uh, private providers. We've looked at uh, incentives to provide, um, or to provide incentive for businesses that want to provide um, health care or day or that want to provide child care within their field or partner with another private company. So those kind of conversations continue to happen and we continue to put more resources. And one of the things that we have to continue to look at as part of that is making sure that there's again, back to the workforce conversation that we have a workforce that's able to fill those needs as well. You can if, even if you have the facility, you don't have the workforce to be there. That's another one of the lagging issues. And quite frankly, we've put a lot of resources into these programs and something I've been hearing more and more about, especially in rural Iowa is just the ability for communities to even know what's out there that may exist for incentives. And so I think that's something that we really need to look at, that all sizes of communities are having the ability to access uh, a lot of the hard work that we've already put in. But that's a great question because that is something that continues to be on the top of our minds as we look at workforce growth in the state. And we're kind of running out of time here, but Senator Whitford, I wanted to ask you um, about something that has been in the news quite a bit, and it's issues at Iowa's nursing homes. Um, there's, you know, potentially we there aren't haven't been inspections often enough at nursing homes. What are legislators going to do to make sure that 
you know, the people in nursing homes are being uh, watched over correctly. Yeah, I mean, nursing homes, it's one of the more regulated industries in in the country. The state regulates them, the federal government regulates them. Um, we're going to continue to talk to our state regulators to make sure that um, they're being inspected, they're being expected enough, um, things are getting fixed when, when violations occur. Um, but that will be a conversation that we'll continue to have to, with DIAL, the Department of Inspections and, and Appeals, um, just to make sure that our... Um, our senior citizens are being taken care of. Okay, thank you very much. That's all the time we have uh, for this portion of the program. Um, House Speaker uh, Pat Grassley and Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitford, thank you for coming in and talking with us and our audience. We appreciate it. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Give the gentleman a chance to uh, change places. We'll have the Democrats up next, uh, two Democratic leaders of uh, the respective chambers. Uh, Coming up, uh, Senate Minority Leader Pam Yoakum will be with us. Also, the House Minority Leader, uh, Representative Jennifer Confirst, uh, will be with us. Tomorrow on this program, since we, we've we touched on it here, uh, and there was quite a bit of interest from our listeners, um, the state of Iowa recently rejecting nearly $30 million in summer food assistance for low for children of low-income families. We'll be focusing on that uh, food insecurity as a larger issue in our state tomorrow on the program. Um, This is the first day of the 2024 Iowa legislative session. Uh, And uh, today, along with my co-host, IPR's Katerine Sestarek, talking with legislative leaders on both sides of the aisle about a variety of legislative priorities, answering your questions as time uh, permits. Uh, Iowa has a Republican trifecta, but not only that, also something called a Republican triplex. The Republican Party controls the offices of governor, secretary of state, attorney general, and both chambers of the legislature. And uh, so that's something to keep in mind as we go. And Governor Reynolds giving her condition of the state address tomorrow at 6 p.m. That will be broadcast here live on IPR. And we've switched places. Uh, We want to uh, welcome uh, to our conversation uh, House Minority Leader Representative Jennifer Confirst. Representative Confirst, welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Afternoon. Good good afternoon to you. Also, Senate Minority Leader Senator Pam Yoakum. Welcome uh, to you. Thank you, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Okay. We led off our last half hour with the tragedy from last Thursday in Perry, Iowa. Um, Katerina, did you want to follow up with our, our Democratic leaders here on, on uh, that concern? Yeah, so there are students from high schools across Iowa walking out today um, protesting gun violence after, you know, what happened last week in Perry. Um, Senator Yoakum, you know, what's your message to those students in terms of, you know, what lawmakers can do this session to uh, try to try to cut down on gun violence? Well, thank you. It's a great question and very timely. And certainly this is a call to action now. We've had a lot of condolences, thoughts, prayers, all of which are appropriate. Um, But we've been doing that for a long time. And it has not tamed the violence that we continue to see. So to the young ones, I am thrilled that they are interested and organizing themselves uh, in order to have their voices heard 
to make a difference. And of course, the power of their voice is incredibly important, but so is the power of the ballot box. Uh, I know that I, I met with Trey Jackson already on Saturday about some of the issues that the March for Our Lives will be advocating this coming session. And uh, we certainly hope that we can at least have a very sincere and robust discussion on, I know, their three proposals, as well as uh, the safe storage of weapons and ammunition. It's time. It is just simply time. Um, as a mom who actually lost a child, I know there is no other grief or pain that even comes close to what the families and the parents in Prairie, Iowa are going through right now. So my condolences to them as well. And to catch our listeners up, the, the proposals that you mentioned um, from March for Our Lives, Iowa, include um, extreme risk protection orders known as red flag laws, closing domestic violence loopholes, and uh, making um, lost or stolen gun reporting mandatory. Um, Representative Confirst, do Democrats support those proposals? Will you have bills on those? And is there anything else you want to do in addition to that? You bet. We've introduced legislation for each of those issues in the past and certainly are going to look as we get together as a caucus to decide how we want to move forward. We think it's important to um, use this tragedy if anything good can come from it, right, which nothing can bring a mirror back, if anything good can come from it, let's stop this from happening again somewhere in Iowa. And that's going to take a holistic approach, right? It's going to take looking at all of the issues. But um, what I'm hearing from my colleagues across the aisle is they're willing to look at every issue but firearms. And I just think that's too short-sighted. So let's have a conversation, a realistic, honest conversation about how we can get something done. Who seems to be forcing the issue in a way that will really address the problem and who's putting window dressing on it because they're not willing to address the real problems. It's time to, to act. It's, it's past time. Earlier today um, in his opening speech, the House Speaker mentioned, um, you know, some more money for school security, potentially school resource officers. Um, are, are those things that the legislature should um, boost as well in the state? You know, we're always a fan of adding funding to public education, right? So that's a big, a big um, thing that we support. We want to make sure that um, there's data behind those school resource officers. We want to make sure that um, it's going to move the needle on school safety in a way. So we need to see the legislation, of course. But um, if we want to have a conversation about funding our public schools, let's talk about it in a broader way and see what we can do overall to make our public schools safer and also a better place for kids to learn for the 485,000 kids who go to public school. You know, the other thing is that uh, many of those who have gone into schools with guns and and to commit a violent act, as we have witnessed now, um, they actually go there and many times are suicidal to begin with. So I'm not so sure that the school resource officers are the only answer, certainly can be part of the the conversation. But we also need to really get serious about uh, dealing with mental health for our youth and uh, making sure that we are fully funding that system and also begin uh, come up with some better ways to deal with some of the bullying that's going on as well. So th- there's a lot of issues involved in this. And uh, overall, I agree with Leader Conference, we need to start taking action on gun violence and preventing it. Um, in 2022, Iowa voters approved a constitutional amendment um, on adding gun rights to the Iowa Constitution. Um, and there's been recent U.S. Supreme Court precedent expanding gun rights as well. Um, you know, even if new gun restrictions could get through the Republican-led legislature, do you think they would survive a court challenge? Or do you think Iowans want new gun restrictions given, the, you know, the outcome of that vote on the constitutional amendment? Actually, I do think they do want 
more gun safety legislation and laws on the books. I've heard that consistently for many years. This is not anything new. Um, in terms of the constitutional amendment, my, 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 my fear is that many voters went to the polls and voted for that constitutional amendment and did not fully understand what strict scrutiny meant. And quite frankly, there were a lot of legislators that didn't understand what strict scrutiny meant either. And we had to be educated on it. Um, I do think that there are some measures that will pass that strict scrutiny test. Um, and they have passed that kind of a test in other states that have followed through with strict scrutiny. So I, I would never use that as an excuse not to take action. We'll be right back after this short break. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. Back with more River to River from IPR News, I'm Ben Kiefer with my co-host for today, IPR's Katerina Sestarek, on this very first day of the 2024 Iowa Legislative Session. The first half hour, we had the Republican leaders of both chambers. Uh, This half hour, uh, the Democratic uh, leaders of both chambers, uh, Minority Leader uh, in the Senate, Pam Yoakum, and House Minority Leader, Representative Jennifer Converst. Join our conversation, one 780 or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, let me toss out this question for our lawmakers uh, from Esther in West Des Moines. Uh, I'm sure prompted by our discussion of the Perry tragedy last Thursday. She called in to ask about the lawmakers' comments on reinforcing mental health for children. Uh, she asks why the Children's Behavioral Health System Board is on the proposed list of boards and commissions to be consolidated. Uh, please comment on that. Well, I'm happy to speak. Thank you, uh, West Des Moines. You might, I might even represent you, so I'm, I'm glad to speak with you and to, to have this question asked. You know, there are a lot of questions about the consolidation of boards and commissions, a lot of questions about what priorities this means that the governor is pushing forward and what kind of oversight and transparency she wants in our state government, a lot of concerns about boards and commissions. I think that it's incredibly important that not only we keep oversight of our children's mental health system by keeping things the way that they are or keeping it at least as as the kind of board that can react this way, but also um, as Leader Yoakum said, funding the mental health system in the state. You know, we hear a lot about the things that have been done for children's mental health in the state, and yet we still have a crisis. So clearly funding it is going to be a key part of moving forward. We have to pay more attention to mental health in this state. We we can no longer stand by while the majority just pays lip service to mental health. We have to actually do something to fix it. That's going to require funding. That's going to require oversight, which is why I think that the proposal regarding the Children's Mental Health Board is short-sighted. Senator Yoakum, what can the legislature do about the workforce issues with mental health? Um, you know, even if they can start these services, they can't really start them if they don't have people working there. That's true. And it's not the only profession in state where we've got a shortage. Uh, we can go right down the line and find all kinds of them. I think that one thing we can do is is to provide some more funding available to students who want to enter into that field to help them retire some of their student debt. But more importantly, the state legislature needs to start adequately funding our public universities 
universities and our community colleges. Um, every time we shortchange and underfund our public universities, we see tuitions go up. They have to get the money from somewhere in order to meet all of their expenses in order to educate um, our youth and others. So, so that would be to me one thing is that to, we need to start adding, um, providing adequate funding for education across the board. And uh, certainly that would be one area where I would be open to figuring out how we can provide some additional incentives through um, funding uh, to get into those professions to retire debt. Join us with your comments or your questions for our Democratic leaders in both chambers of the Iowa legislature, uh, River to River at iowapublicradio.org, or call us, 1-866-780-9100. Uh, this is a question from Kevin in Mount Vernon. He asks, what will the Iowa legislature do to improve water quality? Uh, he goes on, some surrounding states do not allow voluntary compliance with buffer strips and other water quality mitigation efforts. We have tried voluntary compliance, he says, and it doesn't seem to be working, at least as monitored on Iowa waterways and the number of nitrate comprised wells in Iowa. Kevin, thanks for that question. And we know this affects us more more than just uh, Iowans. Uh, this flows down the Mississippi uh, creates the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, which has uh, huge implications there. Uh, please respond to Kevin's question about water quality and how you differ from the Republicans here. Well, I can start. And uh, thank you for the question. It's a great question and one that has been hovering over the legislature for <laughs> over a decade. So first of all, I think that when we look back at 2010, the voters of Iowa approved the Iowa Water and Land Legacy Fund, and we have yet to fund it. So we need to do that. Um, that certainly would start dealing with the water quality issues, soil health issues, and a number of other uh, uh, environmental issues that we have yet to address uh, adequately in our state. I I also know that uh, the whole issue of water quality and our environment is also directly connected to, gee, our health. And uh, unfortunately, Iowa has one of the higher cancer rates in our country, especially among our children. So it would make makes perfect sense to me on many, many different levels that we start adequately funding uh, the environment, water quality, and fund the IWO program. I think it's important, too, to recognize even within the question, the point that the voluntary um, voluntary program has not made Iowa's water cleaner. And so what can we look at about what's been out there, in addition to what Leader Yoakum said, that we can do to increase water quality? It's not just Democrats in Iowa who want clean water. It's Republicans. It's no party voters. It's kids. Everyone in Iowa wants clean water. We need to act on that and look and see what hasn't worked and what has because our water has gotten less clean um, even with the programs in place. So let's make some action and take some action. And one other thing, that the whole water quality issue is not just about health of, of our people and our environment, but it's also, quite frankly, about recreation and tourism. So, so we really need to get serious about addressing this issue in a very meaningful way and start funding those programs. Um, you have both criticized Governor Reynolds for deciding to not join a summer food assistance program that would give more food aid to kids during the summer. Um, and Speaker Grassley was in here a few minutes ago. He said he supported the governor's decision, um, but would maybe consider some other ways to help food banks in the state. Um, Representative Conn, first, uh, what ideas are, would you like to work with Speaker Grassley on those ideas or was kind of your response to um, his statement on that? I'd be happy to work with the speaker and the majority on um, making sure hungry kids get fed. 
Because at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about, whether or not hungry kids in Iowa will get fed next summer. And um, I don't know that providing more assistance to food banks is the only way to ensure a kid has healthy meals during the summer. So we're going to want a little more than that because um, this is not a, a huge expense on the state. This is federal money that we're not going to get. And it is absolutely unconscionable with a with a budget surplus where it is, with a budget um, that is being spent the way it is, that we're not willing to spend money to feed hungry kids in the summer. I think that this issue gets wrapped up in politics, but let's not forget, there will be a kid next summer who will be hungry at lunch because the governor chose not to pursue this program. Why is that in any way, shape, or form good policy? It's just not. I agree. It's a very poor decision, and uh, we need to hold the governor accountable for this decision, quite frankly, uh, to suggest that somehow it has to do with obesity just quite frankly, blew my mind uh, that she would even consider that as the reason why we should reject the money. Um, The SNAP program has very strict limits on what can be purchased with those SNAP benefits. And as the leader, leader conference has said, I don't want any child in this state to go hungry during the summer. We have a few more minutes, less than 10 minutes, with Senate Minority Leader Pam Yoakum and House Minority Leader Jennifer Converst, one 780 Let's uh, go back to our phone lines and go to Waterloo, where Laurel is standing by. Laurel, thanks for waiting. Uh, what is your question for our Democratic leaders here? Hi, Laurel. So nice to see you guys. Hi. Um, <laughs> my question was about... Um, firearm safety and having that curriculum come back to the schools and whether or not you guys think that may assist in discussion um, about, you know, how can we improve upon making sure that guns stay out of schools. Um, I just, I wonder if when we lost that back when I was in sixth grade, like in 2000, (laughs) are we missing an opportunity? Is there a reverence that children don't have anymore for guns? Okay, uh, Laurel, thank you very much for that. I'm not acquainted with the firearm safety instruction that uh, Laurel is is talking about. Perhaps uh, our leaders do. Yeah, that's certainly something we've talked about in the House, I know. Um, you know, we want to make sure that the curriculum, if it is something that's taught in the schools, is uh, not NRA curriculum. <laughs> it's important that we uh, allow teachers to, you know, if we're going to do this, let's make sure that we are consulting teachers and including our educators in that conversation. I think that as part of a bigger package of ways that we can keep guns safe, we need to look at everything, including under, you know, helping kids understand the risk. So inherently, there's nothing wrong with that concept. We want to make sure that uh, we're engaging educators. And again, um, it also can't be the only thing we do, right? And I know you're not suggesting that, but others might be. And so we want to make sure that we're looking at this holistically. And uh, look, I want to stop school shootings in this state, and uh, we're willing to look at anything to see if that will help. It might be just one more one more measure to that we can look at seriously to see if it will address the issue in some way. But again, it would be one of many things that we need to be doing. I know the bill that passed the House last year and is still pending in the Iowa Senate actually does provide for a curriculum, but it is an NRA curriculum, and that does cause me some concern. Um, so the governor is proposing a comprehensive review of the area education agencies. Those provide services for kids with disabilities mainly. Um, and earlier on this program, Senator Whitford, you know, kind of said that 
they're not running on cutting services for kids with disabilities. Um, but again, we still don't know really details about what, what they are planning to do with the area education agencies. Um, so I guess, Senator Yoakum, you know, what are you most concerned about? What do you kind of have your eye on when they're talking about streamlining? What, what do you think could be on the chopping block, if anything? Well, certainly funding for the AEAs is on the chopping block, and it has been for a while. Let, let me just back up for a minute here, because I had a child with disabilities, so I know all too well how important the area education agencies are to every family in this state and every child in this state who has special needs. And they just have provided, I couldn't even begin to talk about how how valuable they have been to my family and to many others I know in terms of the services they have been able to provide. Um, Our state actually was ahead of the game back in the 1970s. So hats off to the legislators and to Governor Ray, for that matter, uh, for their foresight, because when the federal government passed uh, Public Law 94-142 to open the doors to our schools to all children, including the children with a disability, um, our state went ahead and did one state, one step further. And I created the AEA system because they knew that those were very specialized professions and that many areas in the rural areas just simply didn't have that kind of specialty uh, in order to reach out to children. Some of our urban centers do, but they knew that in order to have equal treatment of all children, they needed to create an AEA system, and they did. But then they went a step further. They want to step further, and they said, if a child, and it says from 3 to 21, the federal law, 3 to 21, you will educate all children with a disability. The state of Iowa took the next step and said, we will, we will start with the AEAs from the time that child is born until that child starts school at the age of three. So um, my daughter, they was diagnosed before the age of three, and they came into our home, and they helped a great deal in trying to help me as her, as Sarah's mom help Sarah catch up. So I, I couldn't begin to sing enough praises for what the AEAs have done for our state and for just thousands of children over the years. So I'm hoping that if they are serious about doing this, that they bring everyone to the table. This is a critically important issue um, in our state, and to, to just do this in a vacuum, it simply would be wrong. You need to bring the AEA people in, you need to bring in parents, uh, students who have benefited from the program, and teachers. So until we do all of that to figure out how to streamline it better, I am going to be very skeptical. Republicans planning to return to the issue of individual income tax uh, this session, um, speeding up the implementation of a 3.9% flat tax, um, uh, perhaps on the road uh, to eliminating uh, state income tax here. I think Bob uh, has a question in Des Moines. He's listening there. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Good afternoon. I guess it is. It is indeed. Welcome to the program, Bob. Thank you very much. You want my question? Absolutely. Please do. Well, I guess my question is, with a $1.8 billion surplus, which is a staggering amount of money, if I'm correct on that number, if we're not going to do things that need to be done now, when are we ever going to do them? I mean, the two that jump out to me would be uh, cleaning up uh, the dirty water that we have in the state of Iowa and uh, and mental health, which I know you've been talking about. The Republican Party seems to claim that, you know, guns don't cause these problems. It's people with mental health, but they have underfunded, underfunded mental health year after year, decade after decade. It just seems like the height of hypocrisy to 
to underfund something that you claim is the source of the problem. So that would be my comment. Bob, thank you. In Des Moines, a chance for our our leaders to talk a little bit about uh, the plans of the Republicans for individual income tax, uh, um, a flat tax, and then eventually um, perhaps uh, phasing out all income state income tax. You know, Bob. Hi, Bob. Uh, nice to hear from you. I think I know which Bob this is, uh, a constituent of mine as well. So I do, um, you know, we have a concern as we look at um, our state's budget. We do believe with this kind of a surplus, there are a lot of services and a lot of um, help we can give to everyday Iowans. And so Democrats are looking at ways that we can, uh, you know, continue to give Iowans the government that they expect. Um, we also, of course, want to help Iowans with their pocketbooks and their budgets. Um, We are very leery at any idea that would um, take money from the surplus from the taxpayer trust fund and put it toward ongoing expenses. That's a one-time expense. And um, we don't know how quickly that's going to get filled again. So we shouldn't be funding ongoing expenses out of a one-time pot of money. That's like agreeing to pay your mortgage when you have a savings account and you're just going to pay it out of that until it gets empty. That's not a good, that's not good budgeting. The other thing I want to let you know is that 500,000 Iowans have seen zero benefit from the tax cuts that were proposed. And even if they speed them up, they'll receive zero benefit from the tax cuts that were proposed. So let's make sure that we're looking at this holistically. And if anyone's going to get a tax cut going forward, Forward. It's about time that the middle class uh, saw the benefits of that. So we'll continue to be looking toward that to see exactly what it is that we can do, uh, because the current path that Republicans are taking us on budget-wise is, is not sustainable. Bingo. <laughs> I agree with Leader Conferest. I serve on the Ways and Means Committee, and um, she's absolutely right. Uh, the, the recent tax cuts that have been done have truly benefited just a handful of Iowans, like 3,400 Iowans at the expense of all others. Um, but let's also go back and say, how did we get to the point where we have this kind of a surplus anyway? And part of it was just the, the huge amounts of money coming into every state, including Iowa, from the pandemic. Pandemic, um, and that was funding coming in from the federal government. But quite frankly, it was also because we have underfunded a lot of the essential services in our state. So that's part of the reason why we have a nice big surplus. And uh, I think that we need to be very cautious on additional cuts unless it's going to benefit uh, the working class people of Iowa. Thank you very much for joining us from the State House Law Library, uh, Senate Minority Leader Pam Yoakum, House Minority Leader. Jennifer Confers. Thank you both. Thank you. Of course, thanks to my co-host, Katerina Sestarek. We'll be back, I presume, next Monday with more legislative discussions. Today's River to River produced by Samantha McIntosh with assistance from Catherine Perkins and John Pemble. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us.